0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Bill Jennings Breakdown, where we cover all things relating to finance, fraud, and forensic investigations. I'm your host, Bill Jennings, and I'm a partner at Verite Forensic Accounting. I've seen just about everything during my 40 years in this field, and I want to share what I've seen with you. I'm actually working on a book for a large publishing house in London. The working title is Fraud Investigation and Forensic Accounting in the Real World. Since the book is based on cases that I investigated, I thought it would be useful to record discussions with the lawyers I worked with on those cases and share those discussions with you. This is the Bill Jennings Breakdown. All right, hey. uh, Whitley, uh, welcome. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this uh, podcast with me. Um, As you know, I'm working on a book uh, for a large UK publishing house. The working title of the book is Fraud Investigation and Forensic Accounting in the Real World. And I'm using my own uh, investigation experiences from the past 40 years to illustrate the concepts that are presented in the book. So it's very unique in that way. Um, it's, it's not um, you know, a, a, an academic uh, or, or a theoretical text. It, it contains very practical information based on the work that I've actually done over the years. And um, you know, I, I have had the privilege of working with lawyers uh, like yourself Uh, on these investigations and have learned a great deal. And the reason I wanted you to be here today is learned a great deal and developed professionally um, because of working with lawyers like you. And just by way of introduction, um, I met Joe Whitley uh, in the early 1990s when he moved to Atlanta after being the serving as the United States Attorney for the Middle District of Georgia. Prior to that, um, Joe was a uh, state prosecutor in Columbus, Georgia. Um, He worked in the private sector here when I first met him, uh, but then went on to become the uh, US Attorney for the Middle District, or for the uh, Northern District of Georgia, uh, which is headquartered in Atlanta. Following that, uh, Joe um, came back to the private sector and worked together on some very uh, interesting investigations when he came back, but then uh, he was called on by his government to serve again and went to Washington to serve as the, uh, the very first general counsel for Homeland Security. Um, his government service and, and service to our country stretches over many years. I, I think it has defined uh, his career and in, in his um, professional life. He certainly uh, has maintained a, a stellar reputation and is highly regarded uh, here and uh, in many places around the world. The, the one thing that I, I left out, and uh, I, I think it's very important, is that Joe also served as uh, an assistant uh, attorney general under um, Dick Thornburg, when uh, Dick Thornburg was the attorney general of the United States. I wanted to mention that because in that role, uh, one of the things that Attorney General Thornburg tasked Joe with was to go around the world and negotiate legal treaties, mutual legal assistance treaties with other countries uh, between other countries in the United States, and, and, and Joe literally had to, um, you know, travel the world to, to get that done, but he did. And it made a, a huge difference in, in the efficiency and the effectiveness uh, in uh, our government's ability to prosecute uh, its legal interests in, in other countries, and for our citizens, of course. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of, of knowing Joe now for, gosh, I guess it's, it's almost uh, 30 years at this point, and uh, it's been a, a wonderful relationship, and that's why I, I very, he was one of the very first people I invited to do these podcasts because I very w- much wanted him to be a part of this, and I'm, I'm very grateful for him agreeing to give us the time today and want him to know it's, uh, it's been a great honor working with him and I look forward to our working together in the future. Um, I, I have selected a case that I wanted us to talk about because it touches on areas in, in which Joe has a particular expertise based upon his um, professional career. And, and this is a case, it's a very recent case um, but it's a case that uh, was the subject of a Department of Justice press release on July 23rd of this year, and the uh, the headline is: United States files complaint to forfeit more than 2.37 million dollars from companies accused of laundering funds to benefit sanctioned North Korean entities. As the United States has filed a complaint to forth these, these funds, um, the four companies allegedly were part of a scheme to launder payments to subsequently sanction entities to include Velmore Management, um, which the Treasury Department sanctioned for procuring Russian petroleum products for North Korea, Handong Zhichung Metallic Material Company, which the Treasury Department sanctioned for purchasing coal from North Korea, and then in turn laundering the proceeds of those sales to purchase items for North Korea, including nuclear missile components, multiple cover branches of North Korea's foreign foreign trade bank, which the Treasury Department sanctioned for facilitating transactions on behalf of actors linked to North Korea's proliferation network, The Justice Department goes on to say, this complaint illustrates how a global money laundering network coordinates with front companies to move North Korean money through the United States and violate sanctions imposed by our government on North Korea, said acting US Attorney uh, Sherwin. This case demonstrates that we will use all tools in our threat finance units portfolio to target companies that harm US national security regardless of where they are doing business the fbi along with our domestic and international partners will continue to prioritize and dedicate the necessary resources to investigate and combat those who are assisting north korea in evading sanctions by providing illegal access to the us financial system contrary to our national security interests wow that sounds really bad it sounds like everybody's guilty i guess that's the end of the podcast thanks joe i I, I don't guess there's anything for us to talk about. I'm kidding, they always sound like that. And, and Joe and I um, are, are the people who are hired by, um, often by uh, people who are the subject of these press releases. And, and one thing I, I can truly say, having done this over 40 years, there's always two sides to every story. And so with that, Joe, I'd like to ask you a few questions about this case. Um, first of all, let's say you're representing the, the defendants in this case. Um, and, and let's assume for a moment that their interests are aligned. And so there's not conflicts of interest, because I want you to be able to move between the parties fluidly in order to, uh, to talk about how you would handle this case. But, but what problems do they have? You know, $2.7 million, that doesn't sound like a lot of money to
1: no, it's not a lot, Bill. And I, I guess I should say I'm I'm anxiously awaiting the publication of your book. So I'm going to go buy a copy uh, right away when this uh, this uh, this gets printed. So I, I can't think of anybody better to uh, be writing a book on the subject of investigations than you. And uh, certainly you've covered in your career a, a wide span of. Investigations that will be exemplary to people who obtain your book, uh, and I look forward to doing that myself. I, I, I suppose, looking at this case, and, and to your point, uh, although each of us would like to have two point three seven million dollars immediately in our bank account, it's a relatively small amount of money uh, considering that, um, considering the, the scope of other cases where we see huge sums of money being seized and the hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes or hundreds of millions of dollars in fines and penalties. In this situation, I think what you see is sort of the tip of the iceberg, really the beginning of a case. And uh, under US asset forfeiture law, there are two types of forfeiture. There's civil forfeiture, uh, which is what this represents, uh, civil complaint. And then you have the underlying criminal case, which uh, there must be, there is a criminal case here going on, I can assure you, based on the facts of this particular press release uh, against individuals and against these entities, which and from which there'll be even bigger fines and penalties and more money that might become subject to seizure uh, through the criminal case. But anyway, I, I, I would comment on this as a this is the first bird of spring, so to speak. Uh, more <laughs> more to come uh, in this case. And um, what you have immediately, though, is a PR nightmare uh, in terms of what's happening. It's just, uh, this will be spread all over the uh, Bloomberg, the financial news. Um, you, you, but you do have here a parallel criminal investigation going on, I can assure you. Uh, and this broad exposure that all of these companies and entities have. And um, the first, the, the first, the, the burden of proof is a little lower, certainly in civil matters or civil action. So uh, this was the best way to gum up the work, so to speak. Uh, once something like this happens, the ability of these companies and businesses to do business around the world uh, becomes uh, doubtful because uh, no one wants to do business with anyone who's um, you know, subject to a civil forfeiture action dealing with allegations of money laundering. So it, it has a business angle, a, a public relations angle. Uh, there's certainly a deeper look that uh, someone like yourself would want to take looking behind the curtain, so to speak, and finding out what's really going on here
0: makes sense. And, and it's a, a nice segue into my next question. Uh, what would you do to gain an understanding of the exact nature of their problems? And, you know, what I'm thinking about here is, is there a way to um, interact with the uh, Justice Department to, to learn more about, you know, what exactly they have and what's, what's at stake here?
1: Well, there's not. This is not like the antitrust area where you, the sort of the first person in the door may get immunity or something along those lines, uh, under U.S. antitrust laws. But I do think the version of that is um, again being proactive. I, I, in my experience over the years, um, it's helped me to not be immediately combative with the government. Um, And depending on the individual lawyer, sometimes the approach is to you go hold a press conference and say that your client is completely guiltless and, and uh, the government's gonna have to prove it and uh, that's the way it's, it goes. I don't, think when you do that though, you preempt other options you have, which is coming in, really bill for a softer landing. And I think it's important to, uh, to be deferential to uh, Assistant Attorney General John Demers, who's head of the National Security Division our acting US Attorney Sherwin in this particular example, and um, Homeland Security Investigations. They're they're at least those three components at work here. Um, I contemplate in this particular factual scenario that I would probably go to the attorneys in this matter. I wouldn't go to agencies. In other words, not that there's not a lot to be accomplished by being um, in touch with those agencies, but I would go to the decision makers in terms of prosecution. And that would be the local United States attorney in the District of Columbia, <clears throat> Mr. Sherwin, <clears throat> or, or Mr. Demers at uh, DOJ, who's head of the National Security Division. Um, and I think by doing that, uh, you're going in and saying, "I my client has retained me, my client has asked me to ascertain um, what occurred here, our initial um, appreciation of this is we don't really understand why we are in your sites. Can, can, can we have a, a proffer, almost a reverse proffer, for some understanding of the circumstances we find ourselves in? Uh, we want, and, and thematically, um, we want to cooperate with you. We want to find a way to uh, assess the problem because I think, as a practical matter, again, we haven't really defined who I'm representing, but let's say for the purpose of these comments, I'm representing the corporation. Um, there's not a lot to be gained uh, under the corporate sentencing guidelines and other uh, laws of securities and exchange laws and regulations from, uh, from doing anything other than what I've just described, depending on which entity you represent. So I'm talking about the corporate entity when I'm saying what I've just said. Um, And
0: And let's say to narrow
1: it just a little bit, um,
0: because this case unfortunately includes um, the North Korean foreign trade bank. So let's say you do have a conflict with them, they're off the table, but you're representing Belmer management, the company that allegedly uh, purchased Russian petroleum on behalf of uh, North Korea. Um, So, so them standing alone. Right. And and, and because you're representing the company, the company says to you, we have no idea what happened here. We we are clueless about this. Um, We certainly uh, did not sanction um, any of these kinds of activities.
1: How does that change your thinking about it? I think uh, that scenario is one that's familiar to me, Bill, because I represented someone in a similar case, a corporate entity uh, that was uh, violating the Iranian sanctions. Mm. Uh, I, I, I strongly believe in this situation and uh, assuming now the facts are critical. Uh, the one thing we can't change, we, we, I guess we're entitled to assess the matter, but we can't change the facts. Uh, but I, I, would, I would want to ask the government for a window where I would tell the client I'd like to do um, uh, an, an internal investigation, a reactive internal investigation. I'd let the government know I was doing this too, so there wouldn't be any concern that, that I'm somehow obliterating or obscuring information. But I would I would want to find out exactly who, and Velmer, who exactly was ma- the decision maker on this decision to deal with this uh, illegally and violate the North Korean sanctions. I I, I think, um, again, depending on the size of the company, uh, there could be an argument, again, and we don't know in this circumstance, but I'll just use, this. I've seen this happen and it's not made up, uh, the rogue actor situation where you have someone at uh, Velmer who is at a lower level receiving compensation perhaps outside of the compensation from the company, in other words, bribes of some kind, to bend or break the law about, about the North Korean sanctions. And so I, I think that the, 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 the government will say, well, there were red flags. You should have, you should have known this about your employee. Uh, I, again, uh, sometimes uh, damage control is what you're doing. But I do think um, getting a handle on, um, you know, what laws that we violate the, uh, obviously, inter- the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEPA is one that comes to mind in this situation, and uh, in, in, in others, we don't want to have this go down the trail to us being put on the SDN list, for example, with OFAC, right. the specifically designate you know, designated nationals or entities. So we have a real interest in um, breaking through early and trying to find out what's going on here, and and being a, a uh, cooperator, if you will, Bill, with the government, and that and that and obviously this is kind of a cold chill feeling for the employees of the company, but I think that preemptive corporate internal investigation may well well uh, disclose um, that the company did followed the steps that it should have followed uh, but there was a there were individuals in the company who broke the law and we'd like to cooperate in helping with that obviously it would be good if the uh, Velmer had in place a corporate integrity agreement of some kind or compliance plan but obviously we would agree as part of any kind of resolution with the government to to re- make that more robust uh, have reporting uh, uh, obligations on our part with the government so we can position ourselves. Positioning is a word I really don't like, but so much of what I do in my practice is positioning. Can I position my client for a favorable outcome? And I'm thinking, I'm always thinking about it. this is kind of how I'm centered and how I look at things. I, I, I can't will it to happen. I really have to work to that objective. But how can I position my client bill with your help? Obviously, someone like you is going to be side by side with me as I do the investigation.
0: And that's critically important. And you just hit on something that um, I I see all the time. And that is that these incidents are are not transactional. Um, They, in fact, Really, literally affect the entity's ability to continue in business over the long term. So, you know, um, just to follow on your point, if if there was a way to reach an amicable, you know, agreement with the government um, that would allow them to continue to do business, uh, albeit there was a you know an additional expense to that as as well as this forfeiture piece right. and perhaps helping them uh, in their prosecution of the rogue actor who you mentioned earlier um, that that's a win that that's a huge that's a that's a huge win because the alternative you know you mentioned the SDN list the alternative is I'm out of business uh, I'm done you know, I, I don't have a way to continue to operate.
1: Right, right. I, I, I agree, Bill. I think uh, this has happened in a case recently with me, in a, a domestic U.S. case, but a case in point is uh, our client had problems uh, dealing with immigration laws and H-1B visas, uh, you know, without getting into specifics. But um, in this hypothetical, I'll say, you um, the government wanted X amount of money back in the way of fines and penalties. The, the best way for us to achieve the our ability to pay those fines and penalties was for the government not to kill the goose, if you will, with a golden egg metaphor. Right. For them, we could if we could show them that we were going to henceforth be achieving a, a legally compliant program, um, the government had a vested interest and our maintaining our financial viability instead of sinking the, the entire effort you know, for the company, a company could continue in business during a period of transition toward the payment of the fine. so uh, and that's I don't believe an aberrant situation. I do think that there's real the realistic component of this is how do you, how does, how do you achieve the government's objective? and at the same time, how do you achieve your objective? So it's a, a win-win uh, outcome.
0: And let's say, Joe, you, you do the internal investigation you are talking about earlier, but the, um, the rogue actor uh, actually still has significant um, responsibilities and authorities as the investigation proceeds, but realizes, that um, you're getting closer to the truth, and and begins to do things um, to to prevent you from to collecting the evidence to prove that truth. What, what do you do in that circumstance? How do you advise the client in in that circumstance?
1: So uh, this is a sort of a uh, the Robert Frost poem, uh, Two Roads Diverged in the Woods," and. We want to take the one less traveled and uh, that will make all the difference. And I think what I would want to do is, is um, separate the employee or executive uh, from further duties at the company. Um, and there may be provisions in the corporate bylaws for his the retention of counsel for the individual. Uh, so because at that point we have a conflict with that individual, we can't really advise him or consult him. Uh, going forward because he is in a different status. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot more here to talk about about that issue in terms of conflicts of interest. But I, I, I would want to, uh, um, you know, continue to maintain access to this individual through his or her counsel. But I think the the imagery for the government is so much more preferred if that person who is the, deemed to be the malefactor uh, is now no longer on the premises, so to speak. In other words, in a, in a figurative sense, he or she is sidelined and uh, then that investigation can go forward. I I, I think it, it's a difficult situation because this individual likely in this hypothetical we're talking about is a friend of many people for many years, possibly. But uh, the the corporate officers have an obligation to the corporate entity, and they have fiduciary obligations that further make this more complex. Uh, and um, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and if it's publicly traded, there are all kinds of things are going along with that phenomenon that require there to be um, the highest the duty to the shareholders of the corporation uh, is of is, uh, the utmost importance. And I think Regrettably, that individual needs to be separated from the company.
0: Well, I think that's an excellent point. You also hit on another excellent point, uh, which is the denial piece. (laughs) If I had, you know, I've been doing this for almost 40 years now, but if I had a dollar for every time I eventually uh, identify who the the bad actor is and present the findings to the client, and And here, in response to that, that's impossible right. Right. Uh, I could have retired a long a long time ago yes, yes.
1: Uh,
0: and it's i don't I don't know the psychological um, science behind right. this and and certainly' am not trained right. in that area couldn't speak to it right. except from observation. but what I have observed is it's almost like people feel like it's impossible because how could I work with every day and have had, you know, lunch with and befriended a person who is a criminal? How could that, you know, how could that be? What what does that say about me?
1: Um,
0: And, you know, the answer to that is it says nothing. It says you're a normal human being and You know, in my experience, I've run across probably three sociopaths in 40 years. But other than that, um, what I've run across are often good people who sometimes do bad things. And so they are, you know, they're very likable. They're, um, you know, they can be very charming. They can be, um, you know, very. pleasant to work with and to interact with and there's no reason why you wouldn't befriend a person like that and sometimes for reasons that you may never be able to understand they just do bad things um, yes. and sometimes they get caught at it but I, I hear that point that you made I think is so important that, right. <laughs> that sense of yeah. that could be oh that's that's not possible
1: yes I do think uh, I, just to comment on that I, there's a english television show called doc martin and uh martin ellingham uh, martin clunas plays the lead in that show and it's still on the air in england and uh martin clunas uh plays this doctor who provides patients with really bad news sometimes <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh a little bit like that for us as lawyers and and accountants consultants doing these investigations um we have we, we people don't want to hear the bad news and yeah. uh martin, in this in this portrayal on television uh doc martin delivers really bad news and, and oftentimes the individual patient just ignores it and continues right. with their bad conduct and then they'll end up back in front of doc martin he'll say i told you to take this medicine you didn't take it and i do believe that um there's a it, Bill, it's a real challenge. Yeah. To give, it, 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 over the years, I have dealt with some pathological people who, and who lied to me just straight out, face-to-face lied to me. And and then there's always the moment of truth later at yeah. some point, either after they've been convicted or before. And, and they will, conf- they'll, in a moment of almost like, I've never been, I'm not a Catholic priest, but almost like a confessional moment. You know, coming in and saying I've right. sinned, I, I really, I really have lied to you all along. Now I'm telling you the truth, <laughs> and uh, that's a bad moment because there's nothing worse than than, than telling me something is not accurate. Because unlike Doc Martin, I've got to carry that message to somebody else. The message yeah. to Doc Martin is just to him, but you and I are going to be sitting down in a room filled with federal agents, filled with prosecutors. Now, we're going to be telling them a story, and I won't use the word, but it has its bull and then a word right after it. Right. we will be telling them a word that is bull, blank, and uh, that's not where you want to be because they'll, th- those agents and prosecutors know that, well, this guy is hoodwinked Joe. He's hoodwink Bill. And it, it, so that individual is not only dead, dead, he's buried. You know, it's just not a good yeah. thing. So I do have a, a come to God type discussion with individuals uh, at the beginning of a representation, saying I know that your instincts are to lie to me about what happened, but it doesn't. It really is going to help you if you're truthful with me. And I usually do it with you or someone else with me. I have to have somebody as a witness to this. And uh, anyway, sorry to go on so much, but
0: no, I, I feel that, that, a little. That, 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 that makes another great point, which is <laughs> sometimes these things. You talked about people who will lie even when it would be very easy just to tell the truth, and sometimes that can happen very innocently. I, I was working uh, on a, a large internal investigation of a public company uh, with one of your colleagues, and um, they had gotten a grand jury subpoena that covered all of their electronic. Uh, information, you know, the email server and all of that, as well as any backups for all all of their, you know, data processing systems. And we had gone through this very, very exhaustive process with the chief information officer to make sure that we complied with that subpoena. And your colleague, um, who who you know very well, Signs off, you know, it says that, you know, that's it. We've, we've given you all that we have. And and then, you know, goes back to his office. I continue to do my work. And about two days later, three days later, the chief information officer comes in to, to the conference room I'm working in. And he says, can I see you for a minute? And I, I said, sure. You know. So he says, would you mind coming to my office? No, not at all. So I go into his office and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he says, Remember, we got that grand jury subpoena? Uh huh. And you, you remember that we went through the exhaustive process to turn over all that electronic information to the government? Uh huh. I do remember that. He said, You know, um, there's something that I didn't tell you. Uh, he said, About five years ago, we changed our document retention policy to shorten it. And he said, you know, I I was not comfortable with that. And as a result, I was always afraid that they'd need some piece of information that would have been destroyed under that policy. And so I just wasn't comfortable. And so I kept my own backups <laughs> and he's an opening, He's, he's got these lateral file cabinets. He's opening these things, and they are filled with these backup tapes. You know, hundreds of them.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, so I called your colleague, and I said, uh, Rick, I have some very, very bad news for you. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, and, of course, the guy, it, the guy could have simply said to us. Right. You know, I had these other backups, and, yes. and and didn't for reasons that I, I I don't think anybody at the company would have been upset. I mean, I think they would have realized, well, you know, he's old Harry; he's just really cautious. But you know, things like and, and it it really you know I, I'm I'm laughing about it now, but it created a very very difficult situation with the government. Right. Um, and anything like you talked about that earlier—that one of the most important things is is uh, having a respectful relationship with the government, and and not violating the government's trust uh, in, in that relationship. Could you talk about that just a little bit more about about why that's so very very important and in, in the difference that that well, could make?
1: Well. Um... And I'll just a bit free associate a little bit based on your, your story. Uh, but I, I guess some benefits of being uh, in a role where <clears throat> you're seen as an honest broker. One of the things that I believe you get out of that is the government will try to help you. I mean, it's just human nature. If they feel like in that certain circumstance you're talking about, they won't hold it against you that happened about the documents being in the file cabinet so hold it against your client yeah and um, so what i'm trying to do is have the government perceive me as the entity that they're dealing with not the client as much as i possibly can and it's no sleight of hand or anything like that but i've had situations that arise when i i've had my client debriefed and there, they're there in front of the government no sodium sodium pentothal involved and no shock involved, but they're just sitting there, you know, drinking coffee eye to eye with the government and um, answering questions. And then um, the government has asked for a sidebar with me outside the room away from my client and they will tell me uh, that John or Mary is not telling us the truth. They they know more about all of these things. So um, that they trust you. trust me right they trust me to share that information with me and it 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 does two things one it helps me certainly that they did that but also helps them because the um moving my client into to um, a cooperator or someone who's going to get a mitigated treatment from the government uh that occurs more likely in that situation where i have I don't, and it, it really is uh, disappointing when that happens, but nonetheless, the government is sort of positioned in a way that they um, they see, you. and again, this can't happen everywhere. You, for example, if I were to have a case in Spokane or Tucson or wherever, uh, I, and I have had cases in those places, uh, I am always, Bill, going to be retaining someone who has, credibility with a local United States attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally, uh, today with social media and Google and Wikipedia and all that, uh, I can rest assured that uh, I will I will be looking and trying to find out more about the person I'm going to be sitting across the table from. But the government probably has called, uh, if it's you or me, they probably called the U.S. Attorney's Office in Atlanta and said, Bill Jennings is coming in to see me tomorrow with Joe Whitley. What can you tell me about these two gentlemen? And that, that, that word of mouth reputation is so important that we were talking about earlier. I'm a little bit feel from uh, your your question, but I, I do think- No, so much,
0: it's an important
1: yeah. insight. But so much of this, I mean, with, for example, uh, with John Demers, who's uh, you know a very fine lawyer who's head of the national security uh, division at maine justice he's someone that i've i've had conversations with John on the phone for example uh, he knows me by reputation and I think highly of him but I don't think I've ever had the pleasure of meeting John one-on-one so right. uh, I still think um, you know that's a situation where I'd want to do some diligence on him and and um, the U.S. attorney in D.C., i probably have one degree of separation knowing him. And, and also from Homeland, I would know people there. So I would want to uh, not do anything untoward about trying to find out information about who I'm meeting with, but I'd want to make sure that I'm coming in, the coordinates on my landing, if you will. <laughs> right. uh, and you as a pilot would know this making sure I'm landing at the right airport with my <laughs> presentation. <laughs> I don't want to go, well, this is what I do. And when I'm in, uh, when I'm in San Francisco, uh, I want to do it that same way in New York. Well, the rules are very different in different offices, U.S. Attorney's offices and right. what, how they treat cooperation and, and whether or not I can receive some degree of protection uh, uh, from my, my uh, presentation, that sort of thing.
0: You know, I almost did that one time. I, um, I was flying, uh, at the time I had a Piper Aztec, which is a light twin, and I flew it from here in Miami. And I wanted to land at uh, an airport uh, no- north of Miami called Plantation. But there's an airport next to it that's a little bit south of it that's North Hollywood Airport. And uh, I got my landing clearance from Plantation. I'm on short final. And the guy at Plantation calls me and says... Uh, Where are you? <laughs> yeah, he says, you know, you're... Because uh, he could see me on the radar. He said, you know, you're uh, landing at North Hollywood.
1: Uh, we're one airport over. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, that's a chilling moment. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, that's uh, nice uh, about it and, and uh, vectors around. Uh, <laughs> Radar is such a great thing. I, uh, anyway, there, there's a lot more. I guess a lot of airplane metaphors we could work into this yes. conversation that that are apropos. Uh, but a lot of this is about having the right pilot, and um, so I think that's kind of what we try to. Yeah,
0: do. exactly. And that's why I wanted to, to do this podcast with you. And I think that's you know there aren't other lawyers for a case like this, who could bring that sort of unique set of relationships and experiences and, um, and, and, and techniques uh, that, that you could bring. And the outcome, the point I wanted to make is the outcome could be very, very different. And of course, I've seen this firsthand. Um, I, <laughs> I actually remember a case that you and I had where the outcome should have been very different. Uh, but for your uh, the esteem in which you were held by the uh, assistant uh, United States attorney who uh, uh, e- eventually became our deputy attorney general. And, uh, and you will recall that case very well. But uh, <laughs> I still remember your unique approach to that, which uh, worked out great for your client. Uh, I, I, I will admit, I almost fell out of my chair. Um, but you were extraordinarily candid, um, you didn't pull any punches, um, you, you made your case in a very compelling way, and, you know, as a result, your client didn't go to jail. I mean, that that's a big difference. That's a big difference in outcomes. Um, it's one thing to lose money, it's another thing to lose your freedom, and, um, yeah, yeah, you know, that, these, yeah. these kinds of cases, are really, there really is no room for Error. I mean, it's it's not amateur hour doesn't work in these cases, right. Um it, it just to kind of sum up. So let's say now, now for this case, we're through the internal investigation, we've identified the rogue actor, we've gotten the rogue actor out, out of the way, we now have a um, an agreement with the government um, in, in which they have agreed not to indict us as, as the company or or to otherwise uh, criminally sanction us. What's your advice to the client? You know, how, how do you say to the client, look, you have just um, had this amazing outcome um, and and here's how not to throw it away. What, what, do, what do you tell them?
1: Well, it, um, I guess there's, there's something to be said about the moment that this disclosure, they ordinarily the client, when they receive this news, they're, they're elated. Uh, it's a, it's great news uh, that they're not going to be prosecuted and there's going to be, however, there will be some civil penalties. There'll be some sanctions. There will be a requirement of uh, a corporate integrity agreement. There may be a monitor involved, a deferred prosecution agreement or a non-prosecution agreement um, that, that will put you under scrutiny for a period of three years. I'll uh, Larry Thompson, in the Volkswagen case, uh, yes. where he was monitoring that situation. Um, I I think the uh, human memory and uh, corporate memory is such that at the time of the actual resolution, there's a great uh, relief that goes on in the entity or the individual that subsides over a period of time. Uh, and what seemed like a great deal of the time it entered into becomes less and less attractive as time goes along because it has some punitive aspects to it. If there's not a total declination. Um, and I, I think that it's important to, um, set some markers with the client. So the client's expectations about what the future looks like are realistic. Um, in other words, um, this, the, the victory that has been declared may not be quite the victory that it's seen. You know, later might be might be seen late in later years. So the the cost of compliance, uh, the the angst of having someone in your business looking over your shoulder for a period of time, might be bothersome so much so that people forget. Well, we didn't get criminally prosecuted. So I think part of it, part of it, for me and and you too, you know, as we communicate. The Outcome which is highly favorable. I, I and I've had this happen on, I've been very lucky, let's put it that way. I've been very fortunate. Um, I, I do think that that I, I think that plays a role in it. In other words, when we're at each delta cards and a card game, it's entirely arbitrary which cards we get, right? It, it should be, <laughs> unless somebody's mishandling the deck. But from then on, once we have those cards, we have to play the cards that we're dealt, you know, to use that metaphor, and play them as best as we possibly can. And I think that's where the skill comes in. At that point, we we receive those cards as total luck. But beyond that, it's skill. And that's where we we have to begin to think about, well, what are the cards held by the other players around the table? And how much should I put down? How much should I bet? And all of that uh, bill requires close communication with the client at every step of the way, and um, and that's something I think that's lost uh, today. I think there, that more and more lawyers uh, are communicating by text or email, and and I and today with COVID, that may be just a consequence of that. But I do believe uh, updating. Uh, Putting out, putting, have, have, setting down markers about where we are, milepost, if you will, as we move along the the continuum of res, resolving a case. Um, that skill that we that we you and I exhibit when we get good outcomes for our clients, and it's not always a given, is going to be best measured by the clarity with which we've communicated with our client about the steps we're taking. And I think that's something that I think uh, your question sort of prompted me to, to go into a little bit more of an expansive discussion because uh, after all, we are in the services business. We are a service. Uh, we are, uh, in essence, Brigmasons. Yeah. Uh, we are providing a service. We're providing uh, a, a techniques and employing skills that we've learned over the years that, that will go with us when we are no longer here but we have to build teams, and those teams are critical to our success. So the, the mentoring of the younger people, the sharing of this book, ultimately is a great gift that you'll be giving to other people. So there's a continuing bill of, 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 of other, other Bill Jennings and other Joe Whitleys that will uh, read it, look at it, and uh, get some benefit from it. And uh, it's been my pleasure to be with you. Today to talk about some of these issues.
0: Well, and I can't tell you much. I appreciate you agreeing to do it. I, I certainly have enjoyed it very much. I'm very honored that you've agreed to do it. And um, you know, again, I uh, I look forward to us having some more adventures down the road.
1: Many Thanks more very to come. <laughs> Thank you so much, and, and all the best to all of the, the watchers and viewers of this very good program. Thank you oh, for inviting me.
0: One thing, Joe. Um, it, 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 only if you're comfortable. Uh, what happens is when these things go out, sometimes people have questions that we have an answer in the podcast. If you'd be comfortable with either giving them an email address or a telephone number um, sure. that, that they could use to pose questions, well, uh, that's a useful thing.
1: I'd be delighted to do that. Uh, uh, my email address at, at Baker Donaldson is Jay whitley. At Baker Donaldson, B-A-K-E-R-D-O-N-E-L-S-O-N dot com, and uh, that's the best way to reach me. And uh, right. I'll do my best to uh, respond promptly. But if I don't, it's because I'm otherwise occupied trying to earn a living. And uh, <laughs> exactly. but I, I do uh, think that's a sweet spot of these programs is the dialogue that we're not able to have. Yeah, but I look forward to speaking to some of your viewers and. Uh, and I look forward, again, I look forward to, uh, I'll be, once that book is off the printer, I'll be Great. buying a copy, Bill. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks again for listening to the Bill Jennings Breakdown. If you'd like to connect or have any questions regarding forensic accounting or fraud investigation, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at the Bill Jennings Breakdown at gmail.com. I'm always happy to be a resource if I can offer any wisdom or answer specific questions about a case. Look for the next installment of Bill Jennings Breakdown. Thanks again.